Hello, and once again, welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Robinson, and today we have a very special guest with us, Reverend Don Kirsch. Welcome, Don. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Yeah, this is his first time on the Life Plus God podcast, and so hopefully this is the first of many episodes to come. But Pastor Don is our Senior Adult Ministry Coordinator here at Treach. And man, we have been in such need of this ministry for a long time. And I'm so excited to enter into conversation with you. And today the the question that we're answering is, how do I connect spiritually across generations? And I think that throughout the history of the church, <laughs> there has always been kind of a disconnection or a reconnection, uh, constantly ebbing and flowing between older generations and younger generations. And where is the church going? And how do we welcome in younger people while still uh, keeping our older generations in the fold and loved and supported? So we're going to talk about some of that. But before we get into that, uh, Pastor Don, I would love for you to give us a little intro into our, our new senior adult ministry here. Well, thanks, Alyssa. It's um, it's in its fledgling stages, obviously, but uh, and I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to be part of building this ministry here at Treach. Uh, one of the things that I found here at Treach is that there already exists a, a good relationship between the generations, and that's really very healthy. But to be intentional about uh, helping the older generation continue to find meaning and purpose in their lives, uh, to help them find that, uh, you know, to continue to remind them that God hasn't forgotten about them. Because as we kind of get into later life, and I'll, I'll be 76 this year myself, we begin to uh, think about that, you know, we're kind of in the fourth quarter, so to speak, if you want to talk in football teams, in football terms. But, um, but it's interesting the way that people view their place in the life of the church uh, as they get older. Uh, I think historically it has seemed like we become less and less, viewed less and less useful in the life of the church, and the emphasis has seemed to be, well, we need to continue to reach out to young families with children and those kind of things, because if we don't, the church, the church is going to die. Uh, well, it may get weak, but Jesus isn't going to let his church die. I mean, that's just the way it is. But we've had an, uh, kind of a we've had kind of a lack of appreciation and emphasis on the older generation and what they can continue to bring to the life of the church and the Christian community, uh, even in their later years. And this is what I look forward to helping to develop here at Treach. That's awesome. I'm I'm so excited to have this conversation because I do think there is a bit of a disconnect sometimes between generations of um, embracing change versus embracing tradition. And so, yeah, there seems to be a lot of push and pull. Um, but I want us to stop thinking of it as like a versus type mm -hmm. thing of yeah. like, because that's what's thrown at us all the time from the news and from media. It's baby boomers versus millennials, Gen Z versus Gen X, you know, all of these things and trying to pit us against each other. And I think that I've noticed in conversations, like all of us fall victim to that at Indeed. times. And yeah. we just think, oh, this generation is so out of touch or, oh, this generation, uh, uh, they're not willing to work hard. They're not, they're not patient. They're not willing to put in time, you know, things like that, that we just put these generalizations out. And so part of what I want us to do today is let go of all of that. Talk about the elephant in the room yeah, and some yeah. of the issues that we've had in being in conversation and how we can overcome that. Because like you said, one of the things that I truly love about this church that you and I are a part of is this is a cross-generational church, mm -hmm. which sometimes that's hard to find. It is. But you see uh, 
people here who their children are here, their parents are here, their grandparents are here, their great grandparents are here, their aunts and uncles are here. Like it is a beautiful smattering of people across yeah. all ages. Truly. Um, so let, let's just go ahead and get into it. What all do you right, think? All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me start with this, if I may, Alyssa. Yeah. Um, I think we need to kind of examine uh, what may have caused this perception that we have of there being a, uh, a lack of understanding and appreciation across generations. Uh, there was a book that came out a while back that was written by Dr. Becca Levy, and she's a psychologist and a gerontologist. And I read that book uh, with a great deal of interest because uh, what she covers is uh, years and years of research that she's done in the United States and all over the world about attitudes about aging mm. and how attitudes on aging uh, shape our beliefs and our behaviors as it relates to aging. Now, that doesn't, it, it, it applies whether you're on the young side of it or on the older side of it. Um, her book is called Breaking the Age Code. Uh, so if anybody wants a good read on this kind of material, that's a, that's a great one to look at. But she comes to the conclusion that what we have, particularly in the United States, is structural ageism. Mm. It's somewhat systemic. And we find it in various parts of our culture. And it's actually shaping uh, our culture as it understands aging and how we think about the aged, the older people. So when you think of it in those terms, uh, you can kind of get an idea. Well, let me give you a personal example. Uh, Dr. Levy also uh, says that structural ageism shows up in medical care. And I've experienced that myself, and so has my wife. We go in with a complaint to a doc, you know, and say, uh, well, this is kind of bothering me here in uh, this part of my life. And the doctor says, it's to be expected. You're old. Hmm. Okay. One of the things Dr. Levy says is that in the medical community, structural ageism shows up when older people are either undertreated or not treated at all for something, and it's just chalked up to old age. Mm -hmm. so, Which I'm guessing sometimes the doctor is younger than you and has never actually reached the age that they're speaking to, and so there's no personal experience there. It's just all textbook of what it's supposed to be like when you're aging. Yeah, yeah, it certainly could be. So it shows up there. But um, I think the thing is that if that's, we just accept that reality that that's going on in our country, it's going on in our world, it's going on in the church. But if anything can be a change agent for those kinds of attitudes, beliefs, and the ultimate behaviors that are generated from that, then the church needs to be the one who leads the way in this, mm -hmm. because we have the Bible. We have the content of God's Word that, uh, that will help us to know how we can live differently uh, in an intergenerational and cross-generational uh, kind of life mm -hmm. together. And that's the exciting thing about, uh, about this type of ministry, is because our source isn't just going to be psych psychology may identify the problem. Mm -hmm and give us reasons for the problem, but it doesn't give us the solution Yeah, in my mind. Yeah. In my mind, we're going to find the solution in our common relationship with Christ and in, uh, in the Word of God. Well, and I think that talking about those systemic structures is really helpful because I do agree that the system is working against uh, older people, but I think that speaking from a younger perspective. So I'll just say, put it out. I'm a millennial. I'm in the millennial generation. There's frustration on that side as well, because often what we see is that the majority of people in power are in their sixties or beyond the majority of people, the majority of the wealth in our country is held by people in their sixties mm -hmm. and beyond the big decisions that are shaping our future are being shaped by a group of people who won't see the future future. They won't have to live through the decisions that they're making. And so I think that one of the issues that we face is a lack of empathy, a lack of understanding 
between the generations because we all get caught up in the ways that we're being kept down and we want to find an enemy because it's the natural human condition mm -hmm. to say, whose fault is this right. that I'm not able to pay my bills, that I keep voting and voting and voting, but nothing is changing. And so we say, hey... The older people, y'all are keeping us down. And then the older people are saying, I can't get the health care I need. I'm not being taken care of by this system that I've paid into my entire life and I was told would help me and would take care of me. And whose fault is it? Well, I'm going to point a finger at the millennials because they're not willing to work hard. They have no respect for their elders. They don't care the way that we cared about caring for the older generations. And so we're put at war with each other yeah, yeah. and it just it starts to feel it creeps into i think our spirituality and it creeps into it what i would call church politics mm -hmm, you know and mm -hmm. the way that we view the church and i think that if we were just each able to step outside of ourselves for a moment uh, because that's one of the things that i've noticed often is when I watch the news too much or I'm reading too many articles, I develop a really negative view of yeah. the world around me and the people around me. And I assume that the people around me are out to get me. But if I just shut off the news, even for a week and don't pay attention, then I am informed by the people I interact with mm -hmm. as opposed to newscasters. Mm -hmm. And it brings more optimism because I do believe that for the most part, people are good and people are doing their best and they want to connect. Um, I don't know why we're, we're pitted against each other in this way, but I, I do feel it. And I, I, um, I don't know what, how to overcome it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a I think that's a very solid perspective because, um, but I, I think we're looking at a macro problem yeah. that has a micro solution. Um, we believe in the church that uh, we really change the we can change the world. Jesus has given us the way to change the world one person at a time, mm. and it's got to start with me, you know, and then then it goes from me to the next person. And then mm -hmm. the next person. So um, it really begins with a change in our, um, in our willingness to listen to each other, uh, to reject those messages that continue to shape and form our attitudes, uh, like you turning off the news. Um, the whole idea of the cultural ageism that's going on is seen in this. There's a... Uh, there's an insurance company commercial that is all about trying to keep young people from turning into their parents. Oh, yeah. You know the one? And it's a good giggle. It is. It's a big <laughs> laugh. I love, I love the one where he says, uh, uh, really, the server doesn't care about what your name is. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to print out your plane ticket. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, but, and they're very funny and mm -hmm. so forth, but they're part of that conditioning that we're mm -hmm. getting, that constant messaging that if you hear something enough times— pretty soon you're going to start to believe that it's true. Mm -hmm. And once you believe that it's true, eventually you're going to be begin to act on that, and your behavior is going to be shaped by that. Mm -hmm. So I think it kind of starts with understanding that that's the way things are now. So how do we overcome that? Uh, we may not be able to overcome it in the larger uh, culture, except through changing things in the church and then letting the church be the cultural influence that it was created to be. Yeah. And I think that's where we need to go with it. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the, the benefits of being able to speak to you is um, I've never been your age before, but you've been my age before. Mm -hmm. And I think that as I get older, of course, in my 20s, I wasn't willing to listen to anybody about anything because I knew exactly what I was doing and what I wanted to accomplish. But now that I'm halfway through my 30s, I'm like, oh, this is what it is to get older. This is what it is to get wiser. This is what my mom was feeling when mm. she was my age. This is what my dad was going through, you know, all of these things. And it makes me wonder, um, is this ageism that has become a part of our culture, is this a new thing? Or when you were younger in your 20s and 30s, did you also look to the older generations around you and say, ooh, they're out of touch. They don't get it. 
Oh, no, this is nothing new. Okay. I think it just looks different. Um, but I can remember the, the key phrase when I, in the 60s when I, was a, when I was a teenager, when I was a, in my early 20s, and, uh, was don't trust anybody over 30. Mm, really? Know? Yeah, really. I mean, that was, that was part of that uh, sort of revolutionary time in the 60s was that anybody over 30 or 40 can't be trusted. They yeah. don't ever tell the truth. They always lie to you. Um, so, no, I, th I think that whole idea... Oh, and on the other side, uh, all of the young people that were coming up in that era... Have you seen the movie, uh, The Jesus Revolution? No. Oh, my goodness. Oh. You asked me to watch that, and I completely forgot until you just well, mentioned it. Well, if you it. get a chance to see it, it will bless you, Alyssa, yeah. because it really does hit to the heart of what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. And I recommend that to your listeners, too, today. So uh, go, go see the movie. Mm -hmm. But um, but anyhow, the, the idea of, uh, of the cultural ageism and the lack of understanding, appreciation, and respect for each uh, generation looking at the other is nothing new. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why, um, why we see so much in the Bible that's addressed to young people and also to old people, mm -hmm. because I think, uh, I think God knew that this was, this was coming. This is going to be an ongoing uh -huh. thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, why do you think it's so important to be in cross-generational community within the church specifically? maybe even outside of the church, but yeah. why does that matter? Because okay. I think it's easy for us to just surround ourselves with people who look like us, same age as us, interested in the same things. Why is it important to go outside of that? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of The Mandalorian or not. Oh, but, gosh. My partner is going to laugh listening to oh, this listen. because he's been trying to get me to watch it for so long, and I just can't get into it. You but I'm sure to, our listeners are into it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I really recommend it to you. Because, and listen, watch for the co sort of quasi-Christian spiritual illusions mm. that, uh, that come—I don't mean I-L-L, -L, I mean A-L-L—illusions that come out in the storyline. I mean— uh, they talk about redemption. He talks about going into the waters of Mandalore and being redeemed. And uh, I mean, the language is just amazing. But nevertheless, in the Mandalorian, their phrase for the Mandalorian, I don't want to call it a cult. Uh, it's a Mandalorian order. Mm -hmm. They have a creed that they live by. And the phrase that they always use when they talk about something that is proper for them, this is the way. Mm. This I is do the know way. that. I've yeah. heard that. They'll yeah. say, this is the way. We have a way. Mm -hmm. The church has a way. And when you talk about the idea of the importance of cross-generational or intergenerational ministry, um, we have a way that's set out for us in the Bible. Take, for example, the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel uh, spoke about the Holy Spirit coming and forecast uh, the event of Pentecost. And he said that your sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, and the young men will have visions. So that idea of the young and the old having a uh, sort of a, a collateral responsibility and a collaborative uh, relationship in the work of what God was going to do has been there from the beginning. Uh, talks about... Uh, men and women being spirit-empowered, and uh, that ministry is done by all in, in all age groups. And this is what makes for a healthy body of Christ, is when we take that very seriously. So cross-generational, intergenerational ministry, this is the way mm -hmm. for the church. We ought to be doing it, and we just really haven't done it real well. How do you, how do you balance between... Um, Jesus is the way of the way we live, the way we connect, the way that we're in ministry with each other and being overly prescriptive about how to do that. Because I think that that's one of the generational gaps that I hear most often when the church is proposing a new ministry or a new idea or a new way of doing things. 
inevitably there's someone who comes back with, but we've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And normally from what I've experienced, that's from someone who's been in the church for 30 years Mm -hmm. and doesn't want things to change. So it's not necessarily saying this is the way as in a legalistic prescriptive way, but how do we make sure that we're following the way of Jesus without getting overly legalistic? And do you think that there's a tendency to become more legalistic with scripture as you get older? Oh, indeed. Sure there is. You think so? Yeah. And I think there's a, I I think that's kind of viewed maybe as a safety net for older people um, that if I can, when, when I feel like I'm losing more and more control of the issues that I've always had control over in Mm -hmm. my life, uh, I look to maybe rules, regulations, proscriptions for how to do things. It gives me stability. It gives me continuity in my life. So I think that's very normal. But I don't think that this is what we're looking for when we talk about um, uh, having a way of doing something. Because I think the thing that I'm talking about is helping people to uh, connect with each other on a um, on a personal level, and it, it can be done in a myriad of different ways. But to connect with each other, I'll share an example with you. This came out um, just a week or so ago. It was on the 31st of March, and it was on CBS News. And there was a senior living center uh, that right across the street from them was a, a dormitory for a college. And... Um, this uh, this group of Gen Zers, and it was in Fort Myers, Florida, a group of young men uh, decided that they were going to go over and visit the people in the senior living center. And they went over to visit with them, and they found out that these folks were very hungry to understand technology, mm. just how to use their cell phones, because their grandkids were using them and all these other kind of things. Well, a handful of these young men they they established what they called CLEO, and it was called the Computer Literacy, Literacy Educational Outreach. This wasn't out of a church. Mm. This was just a group of young guys that wanted to get to know some older people and to help them understand technology, and they meet with them every week. They go in and kind of go over their cell phones with them and help them use their tablets and all these other kind of things. But I think that's an example of of what's going to solve this whole issue of the intergenerational divide, if you want to call it that, is that we need to be willing to look for and appreciate our differences, but more uh, more so to celebrate our commonalities. Yeah. And I think part of that story that I really love is staying open to each other of like, that was one of the things um, my grandmother is, was such a huge influence in my life. She uh, died in 2020 and it was the biggest blow that I've ever experienced in terms of grief and loss. Um, but one of my best memories of her It's not one specific. It's the way that she made me feel because she really listened to me and she wanted to learn from me. And I'm like, how is it that you're in your 70s, 80s and you want to sit down with me? She would she would love to talk to me about politics, but not because she was trying to express an agenda to me. She'd be like, I'm really curious to know what you think about this. Like, what is your generation talking about with this? And, and she just wanted to learn from Mm -hmm. me and listen to me. And it just made me feel so special and honored that someone wanted to connect with me in that way. And I think of my granddad, who's about to turn 90 in a couple of weeks. And sometimes I just sit in awe of the amount of change he has seen in his life. Like when he was young, their form of entertainment was a radio because TV hadn't been invented yet. He was born in 1933. And so just to think about the amount of change you see, like I understand uh, wanting to find control in certain things that grasp onto because th- how fast the world is changing around him. And it is the same thing with technology. Like yeah. he leans on me, my sister, my mom to help him stay connected through technology. He participated in zoom Bible studies over the pandemic, all of this stuff that he had to learn how to do and was open to learning. Mm-hmm. And so I think this, this, these two generations of like these guys, uh, 
at that university who started this, it's like, I'm going to be open and vulnerable by going outside of my uh, sphere of influence to connect with people who may not understand me. I may not understand them. And then in reciprocity, this other group said, hey, we're open to learn from you. Mm -hmm. We're open to connect with you. And I bet it was a beautiful connection of like some grandparent, grandchild adoptions happening there. (laughs) Absolutely. That's exactly what happened. And the, the folks were they interviewed some of the older people and they said, these guys are wonderful. We've grown to love them and they care about us. That was one of the big things is that they care about us. Yeah. See, and that's, and it'll change your worldview. It'll change your outlook, just connecting with people. Now look at what that does to cultural ageism. Mm -hmm. Now there's a group of young men who are seeing a different side than what the media presents to them of old people. And as far as I'm concerned, that's Jesus there. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's a fact. So how? So looking at the church specifically, how do you feel like the church has changed from generation to generation? Because from what I can understand, the church looks and feels different than it did 50 years ago, for sure. But, but what do you think has changed? Well, you may know from just history that, um, that in the 40s and 50s, the church was the center of most community life. Um, you know, people were in church three times a week at minimum, and uh, almost everybody went to church. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was not only the spiritual uh, emphasis and need that was being fulfilled, but it was part of the social fabric of of the country, of local communities. Uh, It was really important. But um, I think over time, the church has become increasingly, and religion in general, not just the church, but religion in general, has become optional. Uh, Now, spirituality hasn't stopped. There's always... There's continued to be a quest for mm. spirituality. So it's the organization of it. That that's like, part mm, of it. Yeah. I think that's part of it. Um, but people have, over time, come to the idea that I can be spiritual without religion, without church, without a place to go one day a week or whatever. Um, but spirituality continues. And you know what? I think, Alyssa, I really think that this is it. Um, an indication and evidence of the fact that the Bible says that God has put eternity in the heart of people. Mm. Uh, I think we're always looking for that which is greater than ourselves. And it's part of trying to find meaning and purpose in our existence, you Mm. know? And for some people, it's spirituality. For some people, it's science. For Mm -hmm. some people, I mean, it's art, you know, just seeking something beyond ourselves. Right. I think part of that, part of that, transformation over the decades has kind of resulted in, um, in a different expression of the church, too, because younger generations, and I go back to this movie, The Jesus Revolution, uh, the younger generation has found spirituality and in some ways, in many ways, have also found Christ and found uh, Christian life and Christian principles uh, in very non-orthodox ways, mm. and it's been a shock to the um, to the Orthodox Church, you know. Uh, but there is good ministry going on in ways that we never would have defined it in the '50s and '60s. We wouldn't have called that church. Yeah. Are you kidding? Uh, have a prayer meeting in a bar? I mean, give me a break. But people are finding Jesus in places. Well, that's what John Wesley did, too. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. He sure enough did. That's right. Well, and I do. I, I think I'm one of the younger people who I do subscribe to the idea of uh, spiritual, not religious. Although I have found religion to be helpful to my understanding of who God is, I totally understand wanting to explore spirituality outside of the parameters of the church, because even just talking about worship just now, it didn't even cross my mind that small groups are also worship. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just stuck in this mindset of, okay, worship is Sunday mornings for an hour in a room, uh, a huge room of people with songs and prayers and all of these things. And it doesn't even cross my mind of, you know, gathering with a group of friends and talking about God there is go. worship. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we have to step outside of the church and the parameters that have been put and the constructs that have been put around who God is yeah. to see with a fresh set of eyes. Um, and I wonder, is that is that something unique to the younger generation or was that something that your generation also went through? Well, you know, I think that's what was going on in the sixties with the Jesus movement. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even though the, the whole idea of, uh, of Woodstock and, and LSD and all those other things, just mind expanding opportunities that people were searching for God without really knowing it, mm-hmm. they were searching for something, as I said earlier, deeper and, and, and bigger than them, and um, that, that hunger of their heart that only God could satisfy. And with Timothy Leary and some of the other uh, folks that promoted the illegitimate ways of looking for legitimate things, um, sort of captured their attention. But when the Jesus movement broke out, these young people began to find Christ and you know, they did go to churches. Some of them did. Uh, but, but some of them were just like street preachers. I mm-hmm. mean, some of these people caught fire for Jesus, and they'd be standing on a street corner preaching the gospel to anybody that would listen. Uh, so uh, I, think, I think there's different ways. You know, Christianity started from a religion. When I think of religion, I think of uh, liturgy and practice and rubrics that, that are observed, and, and I think they're great. It's I like mean, scaffolding. Yeah, the scaffolding, that's yeah. right. But uh, Christianity grew out of Judaism, out mm-hmm. of a very uh, organized and deliberate method of reaching God and worshiping Him and, and learning about Him. Uh, but uh, Christianity at its heart is about relationship, not religion. Uh, uh, that relationship is developed in the context and atmosphere of religion uh, or not. You know, I think it's developed in a community. Mm-hmm. And I think if we were able to stop looking to each other and, and think, thinking there's a right way and a wrong way, yeah. because everything that you're describing, like for some people, they have said the last place they feel connected to God is in a church. Mm-hmm. Um now, does that mean that the people who find connection to God in a church are wrong and that God's not there? No. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but on the other, on the flip side, is God also at the concerts? Is God also in the bars? Is God also on the street corner? Yes. <laughs> it's everything. Yeah. It's everywhere. And uh, I think that we have to stop putting God in a box. And I think that we have a tendency to do that in different ways for each generation. And the, when we try to release God from the box, we find another box mm-hmm. to put God yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, yeah. okay. So you mentioned that there are points in scripture that they, uh, the writers are specifically addressing older people and specifically addressing younger people. That's right. Uh, could you share some of those scriptures yeah. with us yeah, to give us an idea to. of what's the messaging that, <laughs> that we're trying to, to get? Okay. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Um, I'm going to start in the Old Testament because it starts there. Um, here's a verse from Leviticus. It's Leviticus 19, verse 32. Rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. It's the Lord speaking mm-hmm. uh, through the writer of Le- Leviticus here. So that idea of showing respect for the elderly has been around since the beginning. Mm-hmm. God, that's what God wants because, and it's interesting that He connects it with, and revere your God. Re- respect for the elderly is a way of showing reverence for God. Mm-hmm. I mean, He's commanded it. Let's do it. God is pleased. We make Him happy. Bingo. Yeah, that's cool. All right. And how about the um, the Ten Commandments? Number five: Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you 
in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is the only commandment, and it's referenced in the New Testament too, the only commandment that is given that comes with a promise. The promise is this, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. Mm -hmm. Honoring your mother and father. This is speaking to everybody because we've all got parents. I mean, everybody starts out young. So the idea of standing for the elderly because it's a way of expressing reverence for God and respect for them and honoring your mother and father. In other words, this, this has no age limit on it. It's mm -hmm. not just for kids. We need to be honoring our mother and father our entire lifetime. Let me ask you a follow-up question about those two verses, uh, because I think that this is where the wheels fall off the wagon a little bit. Um, so I hear those verses. I find them to be helpful, but I also think that the next question that comes to mind is how, how do I respect and honor? What is, who gets to define what it is to mm. respect and honor? Because I have friends who have had, have suffered from very abusive relationships right. with their parents, whether it be verbally, physically, there's manipulation, there's all sorts of stuff going on and they struggle. And we've had conversations about the struggle with this scripture of honoring, uh, is honoring the same as obeying everything that this person says, or is honoring just loving the person and the same with respect of like, what are the rules around respect? Cause I got into a conversation with my grandfather recently about, uh, he was frustrated because men don't take their hats off inside anymore. And he thinks it's disrespectful. Mm. But to me, that just feels like a social construct that's no longer applicable. And the respect is in the way that we treat each other, yeah. the way that we listen to each other and talk to each other, whether or not you're wearing a hat is uh, irrelevant to respect to yeah. me. And so I think that the words ring true, but how you respect and honor is kind of a question mark. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're getting at, and I appreciate that because uh, I think in the culture of the Old Testament at that time, that was pretty clearly understood um, because it was a cultural norm. Um, in many ways, they knew how to honor, how to respect. Uh, we have a considerably different culture today, but, but not different in the sense that I imagine that there were people who abused their children and mistreated right. them, and children who mistreated their parents in Old Testament times too. Uh, I mean, just like it is today. We live in a fallen world. Nobody always gets it right and nobody's perfect. So uh, I think what, what we need to get from this is that if we're going to uh, let God lead our lives, if we're going to really be faithful to our relationship with Him, then we need to uh, seek His guidance on how we uh, honor and respect. Um, for example, just, just as an example, I had friends when I was a kid— whose parents were pretty abusive. I came out of a family where uh, my mother was an alcoholic. We didn't go to church. I experienced all of the collateral damage that that kind of atmosphere produces. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the places where I did not, and, and I wasn't raised in a church environment. I mean, I didn't go to church until I was in my 30s. But um, one of the ways that we dishonor, no matter what the conditions are, is by bad-mouthing our parents to other people mm. when we're not around them, you know? Mm. I don't think it's honorable to bad-mouth our parents or our children in the presence of other people. I think that shows disrespect. Mm -hmm. So I think the, I, the idea of honoring your father and mother is honoring um, not what they do, but honoring who they are in terms of how God has brought you into this world. Uh, they were the vehicles through whom God brought you into life. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what we give thanks for. Maybe that's what we honor. Is there a space to share about your parents with, if you're struggling, if you're having relationship problems, things like that, not necessarily bad-mouthing them, but you need to talk to somebody about what's going on. Is that dishonoring? Because I don't want it to turn no, no. into like, yeah. keep it to yourself, right. you know, sort of thing, because that's not the same. Yeah. But it, I guess it would just be like 
malicious, uh, I don't know, Yeah. conversation I, about your parents? I think that's what I'm getting at. But on the, on the flip side of that, the way to honor them is to pray for them. Hmm. And I think in those kinds of, in that kind of a context where we're in difficult homes, uh, painful conditions, I think that's probably the last thing we think about doing. Mm. We're hurt so badly. Forgiveness, you know, um, not holding them accountable and responsible for for whatever it was, but oh, that's let's, hard. <laughs> setting them, I know, setting yeah. them free, you know, yeah. because it really sets us free. Yeah. And uh, but I think the idea of praying for them is a way to honor them too. I, I don't like the way things are at home, uh, but by golly, I'm gonna go before the Lord with this problem and trust him mm-hmm. to do whatever he needs to do to, uh, to help us through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are kind of instructions from scripture to young people of how to interact with your parents, grandparents, uh, the older generation. Right. And this is, uh, this carries over into the new Testament too. And I've just got a couple of verses that I want to share with you here that, um, that I think are going to be helpful. Um, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church. He's writing to Christian people now. I think this is something else. This is not intended for non-believers. This is intended for God's people, the followers of Jesus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. What's he quoting? The fifth commandment, mm-hmm. which is the first commandment with a promise. And he states the promise again that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. But then he says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Oh, <laughs> what in, a good word. <laughs> isn't that good? Isn't that great? Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example of, of how uh, Paul uh, taught about the idea of... Uh, well, and I bet that that was... Well, I don't know. You'll have to educate me on the Old Testament, but it seems like that would be kind of new and and maybe jarring information is to speak to the parents and say, hey, that honor and respect goes both ways. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like treat your children well, which at the time would have been like, what do you mean? Like they, they children don't have souls, like whatever people believed then, uh, because children didn't seem to be treated that well at the they time. They were not. That was a cultural norm that uh, uh, children were just kind of an inconvenient necessity. Yeah. You know. Uh, just waiting for them to get big enough to do work. Get a paper route. Yeah. You know, uh, you know get a job. So uh, be able to help around the farm and mm-hmm. those kind of things. But uh and this is why Jesus was so emphatic about, don't you keep the little kids from coming to me. You know, let them come to me because it's to these, such as these, belongs the kingdom of God. So Jesus was all about kids. He was, he was trying to turn that norm right side up. Mm-hmm. It was already upside down with children being treated as chattel, for example, property, yeah. and not, not being respected. So... Uh, Jesus came and helped us to help us to flip that around. Uh, Paul also, uh, in talking to Timothy, um, one of his more famous and noteworthy kind of uh, kind of uh, statements that he made, Paul really acknowledged his own aging, and he said he said to uh, he said to Timothy, he said Timothy was a young preacher that he was teaching. He said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He was looking at the end of his life. Mm -hmm. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So here's, here's Paul teaching this young, this young man who was probably maybe in his 20s, maybe his 30s at the most. He's teaching them, he's teaching him how to get old yeah. through his own example. He says, I'm at the end of my life, but man, I'm looking ahead with hope and I'm looking ahead with joy. And so in the whole process of announcing that he was facing his own death, he was teaching Timothy how to get old 
how to face death. Timothy would reflect back on that someday. I'm sure he did. Mm. I don't have any evidence of that in the Scripture, but I'm sure that I, that probably stuck with him. And then finally, just one other, um, Titus. Um, Titus is kind of a short little book, and Paul was writing this specifically to a person. So uh, in this one, he says... Um, to Titus, he says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate. Okay, you know what temperance is. Mm-hmm. It's moderation. Yeah. To be temperate, worthy of respect. Teach them to be self-controlled and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. And likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. In other words, teach the older women to teach younger women good things. So uh, the Bible really does continue to build this cross-intergenerational ministry uh, in the community of faith from the Old Testament through the New, through the teaching. And we need to kind of recapture that in the church. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that my mom has taught me about the letters of Paul that I had never really considered, but she and I were talking about this recently, um, is that sometimes we read Paul's letters and we think that he wrote them all in a few years, but this is a lifetime of letters, a lifetime of spiritual growth and development. And he changes as a person, Mm -hmm. the way that he leans on God, his, his beliefs don't change, but it seems that his empathy changes, his connection to others changes. And so I'm just curious to know for you personally, can you relate to Paul in that way? Have you seen your faith uh, evolve Absolutely. as you've gotten older? Yeah. What does that look like? What does that feel like? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And I, I uh, appreciate the chance to kind of shed a little bit of light on that because um, I, think, I think one of the things that's happened is my faith has grown. My relationship with Christ has grown. Uh, and I, I became, as I said, I became a Christian in 1984. So I was like 37 years old. And um, over those decades since then, um, I've learned what it means to become more dependent upon God mm-hmm. and less dependent on myself and on others. Uh, and that has been a, a kind of a, an evolving development of trust in God because I felt like I've, I've often expected far too much of myself and of others and not expected enough from God. So I think that's one of the big things. That, I uh, feel that. That's so relatable because <laughs> I want to I wanna learn to trust God. And maybe I'm, I'm 34, so maybe I'm at the same place yeah, you were. Yeah, you're pretty close in there. Where yeah. like I'm, it's hard for me to trust God because I am like, I can do this. I can get other people motivated to do this. Like I, and the, it's the last thing on my mind often to turn to God. Maybe that's what your thirties is learning is thirties, forties, fifties into how to trust. Yeah. And how to um, move toward that point where God becomes our first, uh, our first cause, our first attempt, our first outreach. Uh, not, not that fire extinguisher that's hanging on the mm-hmm. wall. When the flames break out, I'm going to grab God and ask him to help me put this fire out. But the idea of, uh, of him always being, being the very first source for that. Um, I think something else, and of course I've grown in my prayer life, and I've, just in terms of loving to pray and wanting to pray. But I've had a... a growing sense of peace with circumstances. And I think that comes from learning uh, from the Bible and also from personal experience that every previous experience where I can say God was there and he helped me through it, that the next one I can say God's got this because he had that last one. Mm. You know, he got me through that one. So the idea of... uh, of growing in terms of that greater peace with my circumstances. I don't get all rattled when things kind of seem like they're 
coming off the wheels, you know, off the axle. Um, less rattled than I used to mm. uh, because I think the Spirit has shown me how to just take a deep breath. And, you know, the Bible says, wait upon God. Wait upon God. I want that. <laughs> My, yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm at the phase right now where peace feels like complacency. Oh, huh. And I, it, it feels like apathy, maybe, mm. as like if you're not reacting, if you're not doing something, if you're not speaking out, gotcha. then you're part of the problem. Right. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And yeah. I, I want to get away from that mindset. And maybe it does just come with age and wisdom, learning that peace and contentment are not complacency and apathy, but that's how it feels. It feels that way because we live in a culture and in a country that celebrates independence. Mm. We don't need anybody else. I can do this. I've got this. And it doesn't take long with that kind of mindset to come up against things where I can't do this. I don't have this. <laughs> you know, I, it, this is outside of my this is outside of my influence. It's outside of my strength and my mm -hmm. abilities. But, um, but it's a growing process. Uh, we didn't come into this world. We came into this world dependent on everybody else. Yeah. And we go out the same way. I love this quote from John 21 where Jesus is talking to, uh, Jesus is talking to Peter. And he says, uh, he says to Peter, he said, When you were younger, you dressed yourself. And went where you wanted. Kind of feels like Alyssa, doesn't it? You dress yourself. You go where you I want. I go where I want. You do yeah. what you want. Okay. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. This is the words of Jesus to Peter. Mm. He was giving him a look at what it was going to be like for him to age, to get older. And now the verse 19 after that, and I need to say this because your listeners will say, well, say the rest of it, Pastor. <laughs> Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. All right, now someone will take that, someone will take that phrase in verse 19 there and say, uh, tradition says and, and uh, you know, legend has it that Peter was crucified upside down. Maybe so. But I would put my money on the fact that Jesus, or that uh, Peter was a very old man when that happened. Mm. And he had gotten to the point where he needed people to guide him around. His vision probably went bad. He needed help getting dressed. Uh, and maybe he was crucified upside down. I, I don't know that uh, to be certain. But he was telling him, you're going to get old. Mm -hmm. When you were young, it was like this, but it's not going to be like that forever. But his key point to Peter after saying all that was, follow me. In the meantime, Alyssa, as you get older, follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's where all of, the, all of the skills and all of the uh, spiritual resources are going to accumulate for you to tackle the hard stuff. Yeah. As you near the end, follow me, he said. Well, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I was thinking, and maybe Peter had this feeling too at some points in his ministry, um, I'm well into adulthood at this point. Uh, I'm still young, but I'm not, you know, doe-eyed and, and fresh anymore. <laughs> um, but I still have this feeling or this thought every now and then of when am I going to know what I'm doing? Like, when am I actually going to figure this out? And maybe the answer is never, but you see people, and I'm sure you experience this too. You see people that are older than you and you're like, when am I going to have it together like that? Mm -hmm. Like, when am I going to get to the point that I get how everything works and I feel confident in my daily living? And maybe the answer is, 
you're never going to feel that way, but just follow Jesus, follow, Mm -hmm. just do your best, just reach out. Because one of the things I do love about that verse is when you were young, you dressed yourself, you went where you want, but you will get to an age where you have to reach out Mm -hmm. and someone will dress you. And I think that the reaching out, uh, being willing to ask for help, being willing to say, I don't have this figured out yet. I can't do this on my own and to let people help you. uh, Maybe that's what figuring it out is. (laughs) I think it is. I think you hit it there because if you could really look under the surface of those that you would point to and say, I wish I had it together like they do. When will I get there? If you could look under the surface, there's a lot still to do. Yeah. And uh, they would be very honest with you, I think, in most cases to say, um, I've got a long way to go. God's still working on me. Um, I'm not there yet, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. Mm. You know. Well, what do you think that we can do better individually to connect with generations outside of our own? I think one of the key things is that we have to be intentional about doing that. That has to be a priority. Um, we have to learn to listen to each other. Um, get to know each other from the standpoint of what are our differences and most of all, what are our similarities? We're going to find an that we have an awful lot in common when we start talking across generations. Uh, we're going to have the same kinds of hurts. Uh, when somebody we love dies, we're both going to cry the same kind of tears. Um, and the thing that we might be able to do as, as, as older, as an older generation is to help the others uh, understand that we can, I've been through that. I got through that. God got me through that. It was my faith in Jesus that helped me move from the pain of death to the hope of resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why our message is so critical, so crucial. Um, I think the other thing that we need to do is that we were all created in the image of God. We need to start looking at each other through different lenses. We're looking, through, looking at each other through the lenses of our differences. And the thing that we have in common is that God made the young guy, God made the old guy. And uh, we look at each other through those lenses. We are created in the image of God. And that means that we are both loved by him. We're just at different stages of life. And if we can really grow into seeing each other uh, through the lens of God's image, uh, we'll be able to love each other and not resent and, and see each other uh, as a problem. And I think the other thing is that we need to reject the influence of the mass messaging. Um, We can laugh at the goofy commercials of the insurance company and stuff, Mm -hmm. but let's not let that shape our attitudes. That's one of the things that I've seen happen to me. I have really, and I don't think it's because I'm getting older myself, that may have something to do with it, but I have over the last few years really developed a greater love for older people. And um, I think it's, I think it's just a work of the Holy Spirit in me, uh, helping me to, uh, helping me to see people uh, as valued and love children of God. So I think those are the those are the main ingredients of bridging that gap. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, the older generations and younger generations have different responsibilities to the church, or that we all have the same? Uh, call to service were just different ages? I think it's a little of both. Mm. Um, I, don't think our, I don't think our mission varies at all uh, in terms of what it means to be the church or to be a young Christian versus an old Christian. We, I think we have those same kinds of responsibilities, but I think there's some uniqueness there in the fact that how we've been equipped. The younger generation has not been equipped for very much yet as compared to the older generation uh, who has the responsibility to pass on the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a big thing in, uh, in the Old Testament too. You know, it, it talks a lot about sharing the Word of God with the younger people, you got to, you know, you got to keep telling them, you got to tell, tell the stories, you got to keep teaching them. Um, I think the young do have kind of an inherent responsibility 
to mine the expertise, the experience, and the knowledge of the old people. Uh, we've got to help them understand what a great resource there is in the older generation that's preparing them for the rest of their lives. And uh, so I think they have a responsibility to learn mm -hmm. from the old. I think that's part of respecting and honoring mother and father, respecting. You know, I learned a lot <laughs> of bad stuff from my mom, but I learned some good things that were very helpful to me too. And, uh, and I guess that was, that didn't necessarily balance everything out, but it was good to do that. Um, I think we need to learn to listen, to watch each other, to learn from each other, and then we need to do things together. Mm. If we can do things together that make a difference in the world, um, I think it'll make a difference in the church too. But we'll all be part of that body of Christ because that is the way. Mm. Don, thank you so much. This has been a delightful conversation. And, My pleasure. Uh, I love talking about this with you. And uh, this was just a, an introduction. So next time I'll have you on and, and we won't be limited to age. We'll talk about anything spiritual we want to talk about. Cool. Uh, but thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and, and doing all of this work and for leading us into a new venture with our senior adult ministry, which is going to be called Encore, Encore. Ministry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because the show's not over yet. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The best is yet to come. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so Good. much. Thank Don. you, Alyssa. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.